Tēnā koutou katoa no mai hoki mai ki talking performance. Ko jai kata aho. This week on talking performance, I'm trying something a little bit different. A young man who I've known for many years reached out and posed what I thought was a great coaching question. Most of the teams that I'm coaching are doing really well at the moment, but I'm afraid that sort of continuing to sort of think about these possible achievements um, will, will hinder performance. He's a hockey coach, so I thought I would reach out to Shane McLeod and get his take on it. And as it evolved, we decided to do a podcast. So this podcast is with Ethan Larson and Shane McLeod. Ethan is a young hockey coach from New Zealand, but in the UK at the moment. And Shane is the head coach of the Belgium Red Lions. Shane's a previous guest on the podcast. Ethan is brand new, and it was really cool to have this chat and see a young coach trying to master his craft. I hope you enjoy the chat. If you do, it'd be great if you could share it with your mates. I was trying to give Shane a bit of a background on you, mate, in terms of your hockey at least. Yeah. Are you still playing over there? Yeah, yeah, I'm still playing. So I play for for Oxford City, Oxford City Hockey Club. So sort of all the hockey I'm playing over here at the moment. So. Okay. And, and are you coaching as well? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so I coach, I coach Oxford Brooks University. Yeah. And what what role do you take on when you're a player? Do you um, do you venture into the coaching or helping the coach out at all, or how how does that look? Yeah, I, I do a little bit actually. Um, I actually coach a lot of the players that I play with as well. So a lot of those uni guys will come and play with me at club. So we've sort of already established that sort of um, the coach player relationship. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I do. It's a bit more sort of one-on-one coaching at club training um, with them. So it gives me sort of that time to help them out with sort of like footwork or different ideas and, and attacking and defending instead of when you sort of just coach, you kind of got to manage the whole 16 players um, mm-hmm. where that club training allows me just to go one-on-one with the guy and be like, well, maybe try this or yeah, which I, I actually enjoy a lot, the sort of one-on-one stuff. So Okay, cool. And you still have ambition to to go further with your playing, or you're already starting that path into the coaching? I think I'm already starting the path into coaching. Like, I enjoy playing. I enjoy playing a lot, but I think it's that sort of realization that it is a long way to go. Whereas mm-hmm. I think with my coaching, I think I love that a little bit more than playing at the moment. Okay. So um, it's just that sort of maturing and realization that. I think coaching is, is the path to go down at the moment. Um, and then just cool. playing will take a back seat. And, Interesting. But, yeah. Yeah. We'll get into it, eh? Yeah, sounds good. I yeah, think based good. on what I've seen so far, you two are going to be pretty sweet with this. So it'll be lovely. I'll just be able to sit and be a fly on the wall. Righto. So this week, trying something a little bit new on the podcast. Two guests, one returning guest, Shane McLeod, and, and a new guest, Ethan Larson. So... Just as a bit of background, I've known Ethan since he was about five years old. He's a gun golfer, gun hockey player, gun athlete, and appears to be on his way to being, if not already, a gun coach. And messaged me a couple of weeks ago, which I'm going to play now, the clip that he sent. Um, And I forwarded this clip on to uh, Shane, obviously, someone Ethan looks up to and just said, love to hear your feedback on this, Shane. And then as it evolved, decided to turn it into a, a podcast with the, with the young grasshopper, getting an opportunity to talk to the master. So I'll play the clip and then, um, and then we'll rip into it. 
Hello, Jake. Hope you're doing well. Um, just want to pick your brain real quickly. Um, both of the teams that I'm coaching are doing really well at the moment, and I've been sort of developing my pedagogy a lot, reading a lot of different materials and, and, and all that, but we're sort of striving for a historic season at the moment and winning the treble. Um, we're currently undefeated and looking pretty good at the moment, winning sort of the cups in the league. I'm afraid that sort of continuing to sort of think about these possible achievements um, will, will hinder performance, but I also want it to sort of provide extra motivation for the team. I know as, as a player, the team I play for is going through the same thing at the moment. Um, and for me, like, I want to think about the added pressure as, like, it gets me extremely motivated and excited. And it does add a little bit of extra pressure, but I sort of enjoy that. But I think the team that I coach just needs a bit of balance and I'm struggling to sort of find the balance between sort of getting the team to think about this historic season and sort of focus on our team values. Um, but I wanted to know how maybe you would think to adapt sort of the athlete's mindset back into the process instead of, you know, focusing on the main end goal. I think it's important to sort of think about the end goal, but it as maybe something to strive for and not like I don't know not get too focused and, and overwhelmed on it but yeah I'm, I'm wondering your take on that I think that's a pretty cool question pretty insightful for a young coach and just before before you sort of start Shane I, I sent it on to two people obviously yourself and also Wayne Smith um, who's been my mentor and so I'll just read out Smithy's response, he said, Hi Jay, this sounds like a very balanced and interesting young coach. I think edge is important and having achievements like they are like what they are playing for can create good edge. It'll be key to get players connecting to their vision and values to the game. Get different players to present each day on what their identity will look like on the field in attack and defence, what others will see them doing. This is a good way to take your mind off outcome and put put it into the effort that the teammates will see. Um, one trap is to rest up for the final push. I think you can reduce the training time, but go even harder in shorter time. Hope this helps, mate. And I think Smithy's a pretty astute coach, and to pick up how weary he is of how good you are, Ethan, is a is a pretty good start. But Shane, I'd love to hear your take on that, and then um, listen to you two riff. Yeah, look, I, I think it's <laughs> the question in itself um, displays a lot, and I think that's what Wayne picked up. Um, you've kind of, if you unpack the question a bit, there's two things that you, you spoke about. One was uh, how it impacted on you. So you as an athlete, how you think about things and your drivers and your motivators. So that's quite, for a young coach to be able to separate that from the collective one that you do with teams is, is really you know, that usually comes through maturity and, and um, experience. So I think that's what Wayne's describing a bit. So yeah, all, all Kiwi saying all credit to you for for that. Um, uh, and I he, he went on to talk about just um, the intensity, you know. And and again, it's quite a good point because what you're building towards is is a pinnacle. And what often happens is is teams fall short because their last part of the preparation they either overdo it or they they protect their athletes so much they don't want them to get injured that they under-prepare them or under-train them. So, you know, his his concept of doing shorter trainings as you get closer, high intensity, 
it makes a differential between your regular season and actually what your your final target is, you know, so you start to um, build towards that with your training environment. Now, um, one of the things that I think is important is um, alignment. And what I mean by alignment is is trying to really understand the group of people that you're working with and where they are at in regards to the journey. So you described very well your, your own thing, but what's the collective view of what they want to achieve and, and so on. Um, and one exercise that I do quite frequently with my athletes is I, I have a picture of a mountain and different ways up the mountain. And also there's a, a part where there's a road towards the mountain. And I, along this picture, I put um, letters. And what I ask them to do is individually uh, pick one of those letters or place where they feel they are in trying to reach the top of the mountain, the pinnacle of what we've discussed. And it's a really interesting task because often you think everyone's at the same point in that journey, but they're not. They're, They're kind of scattered on all the different letters. And them explaining where they feel they are in that journey is really good information for you as a coach because what you want to try and do is start aligning all of those players to two or three letters that are kind of clustered together, similar points of the journey. And and that's quite a good one just to get an idea of where they're thinking and where they're feeling. So that that was the first thing with it. Um, And the second thing is, is that balance, like, um, and it's the bit you're, you're battling yourself with is the aspirational part of it versus the process part of it and making sure that those two work together, kind of like a yin and a yang, because you, you want to give them a target. You want to give them something to aspire to, to do that extra discipline needed to get there, but you don't want them to only have that as their focus. So you need to talk about things in equal parts. So that second part is, okay, as Wayne said, you know, what does this look like, basically? So to get to here, these are the things, these are our values, these are the our core business type of things that will allow us to move up the mountain or, or get there. So so I think that's, um, that's how I would address that. Um, firstly, alignment get them aligned or as closely as you can and then look at keeping that balance and stimulating them but not overstimulating them, Fo- having them on, focused on process rather than the result. Wow, that's perfect. It was, it's been pretty cool for me over here because I sort of took over the team quite early on in the season and it's, it's something that they've actually come to me with saying, hey, I noticed sort of we're undefeated. Um, we're pushing for three different things. Um, I want to keep this train going. So that's why I sort of reached out to Jay because it's, it's awesome that they've identified the success that we've had. Um, yeah. But like I said, I, I was a bit worried that it would overconsume them and then it becomes an issue because now you're playing with sort of a weight on your shoulder and then if something doesn't go right, um, whether it's bad referees or, or injuries, um, that's when a season can kind of go a bit haywire when you're, you know, at the top of a mountain that could just quickly decline. 
so another question that I did have in terms of sort of keeping those values, but let's say, because um, I picked up this team sort of this season, um, how, or from your experience, Jane, how have you imprinted your style of play into sort of like a new, a new setting that you've just picked up? Especially because there's so much pressure these days on the coach for the team having to perform. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think it's quite procedural. So, um and quite systematic, you know, like I, I um, if I come into a team, what or a group of people, any sort of organisation, I, I look at two areas first. So the first area I look at is the the physical environment. So where do we train? Uh, where do we meet? Where um, do we have our briefings? All those type of things and try and make that as um, inspirational and organized as possible. And I try and use that environment as an extra way to offer stimulus. So a good example is um, because I've coached a lot of international hockey and um, when you hockey's not like football, you often have to stay at the same hotels as other hockey teams. And so what would happen is you end up sharing meeting rooms and things like that. So Australia, we're playing and they do a game plan and and a team meeting and then we're waiting at the door and then we come in after after them to use the thing. And so quite frequently I would find playbooks, you know, of of Australia or Germany and things like that. And it's really valuable information that, that just gets dropped into the opposition's hands. So I never wanted to do that or fall into that trap. So what I often do is I will make a um, a room and a room would become our three-dimensional playbook. And in the room or our home base, I'd put a whole lot of um, things in around our strategy and how we play, our values, and all those type of things. And, and one of the things that I use quite frequently is photos, um, but quite specific. So, for example, um, the Belgium team, um, they had a lot of trouble with the likes of Australia, Germany, and Holland. They'd never really beaten them. They, if they were going to play them in a game, one of the, often they'd go ask them for a signature or an autograph or something before they'd play. So they, they, they saw them right up there. And, and I thought that's crazy. And so the photos we would take, we would blow them up into poster-sized photos, and they'd be the Belgian players playing against those teams and, and having success, like scoring a goal, arms in the air, or or running with two Australians trying to catch them and so on. So that the stimulus and what they see is how they feel they um, they are and they start behaving like that, you know, more dominant, more assertive and, and less mystique around those other teams. So that that's something that if you have the opportunity to do, that, that's quite a nice little um, little task. Um, so that, that's, um, that can be really interesting, you know. Yes, Jay. Uh, yeah, I know this isn't about me, but I just this question. I don't want to lose its place. You know, your mountain, and you say you yeah. check in where the players are. Do you do that throughout the season? Is that a constant thing, or is that a one and done? No, it's it's very much a constant um, because it's a really easy way to get feedback that's not critical of what we're doing. You know, it's a it's kind of a lot of the things I do are just little openings that the players can feel really comfortable about talking. And critiquing something because it's a little bit abstract. Um, it's always their idea, so it's not a right or wrong answer. 
and it, it, it gives them an openness. Um, and the reason I particularly chose the mountain was I think it describes the, um, the journey of an athlete really well. You know, like you, you're talking about winning the championship or the triple crown. If you do that, you're at the top of the mountain, but you're only there for a very short period of time. You'll have a fantastic night. Probably knowing English teams, it's probably going to be a fantastic weekend. And yeah. um, But then after that, if you want to have success the next season, you've got to climb down the mountain to climb up again. You don't stay there, you know. So what's really important, I think, with the mountain is is describing that journey that athletes have to do to climb the mountain. That's where you spend most of your time. And um, and how I talk about it with the Olympic athletes is it's about those days where you have a double training session. It's It's cold and it's wet and your body's a bit sore from the gym session the day before but you get in your car and you drive and you get to training. It's, it's still dark, starting to clear. You do a training session, then you have a break, you have a shower and, and some food and, and stuff, and then you have your second training session at three and a half hours later. Now, at the end of that day, it's dark, it's cold, you're fatigued and you're lying on the sofa and you just want people to bring you food and, and love you, you know, and look after you. Now. You don't have to love that, but you have to be able to place it. And that's the stuff that not everyone can do. You know, that's the type of thing that changes a medal from silver to gold or bronze to silver. You know, and it's a nice way to to walk your athletes through those um, grind months, you know, the stuff where you, where you have to do all the hard work and, and there needs to be a piece of you that quite likes that, you know. So that's that's why I use the mountain. Yeah. Um, going back to what you said before, how you used to find sort of like Australian playbooks. When you coached the the red lines through, let's say, the World Cup or mm-hmm. or the Olympics, would your plan or your strategy change for certain teams, um, or do you sort of have a base that you stick off? So do you try and sort of like take certain players out of the game or are you like we will play our hockey and make them sort of adjust to how we play instead of them instead of you adjusting to how they play yeah so so this is a really interesting um area i think so my philosophy might not be the same philosophy of everyone but what i believe is that you, you do have to have a solid game like you as a coach need to um, be really solid in how you believe the game should be played because your job is to explain that in its simplest form to your athletes so that not only you know how to beat teams, you also make sure that you take a whole team and educate them on that same thing. So you can't be too complex and too dynamic. Now, because of that, if you have a solid base, you can talk about a few slight things or slight variations on your game you know um, the danger a lot of young coaches have is they they study opposition and how they play and they come up with this way to play teams that would be successful and it would win however you don't do that by yourself you have to take these group of people and you have to educate them on everything that you've studied and 
and developed so that you can do that. And then next week, you play a different team with a different thing, and you have to go through that same process. So what I believe happens is you have a team that has really good understanding of your way of play, your values, and and your principles. And then each time you play against a different one, it just gets a lighter version of actually how you play, and it becomes this organic thing that you, at the end of the season, you're actually not sure how you play anymore. And you certainly um, you struggle to be able to see it when you watch. So I think it's really important to keep the integrity of, of what you believe are your playing principles so that you can always come back to that. And, and then you add on to that, of course. That, that's what I believe. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I, I, I think I agree with that. It's just, I don't know, as a young coach, obviously you're learning on the way. Um, but it's how far or how deep do you dive into the other team um, without the boys sort of taking the focus away from how we play and then sort of trying to defend what they're doing. Um, A nice way to think about it, Ethan, is, okay, you watch their game, so you study their game. What are the areas of their game that is going to have an impact on your game? So... Let's say they have an overlapping right half that causes problems. You can solve that within how you play, but that's mm. that's just a recognition of something they do. And mo- most teams that you will play up against, there'll be two or three things that are a bit of a challenge. But what you want to do is you want to have so much integrity with how you play that they have to change their style to counter everything you do. So you want to be the aggressor and you want to be the dominant person there because you rehearsed this week in, week out. And then if they fall into that habit of trying to solve your problems, most of their game disintegrates anyhow. And as long as you're aware of a couple of their strengths, you're going to be fine. Oh, yeah, I like that. In terms of sort of your coaching and your style, have you found that it's changed a lot since, let's say, 2008? To, to now where you can say the use of aerials are being used more, um, water-based services are a lot quicker than they have been in the past. Have you found that you have had to change one, maybe your style of coaching or your maybe tactics around it? Yeah, I, th- I think tactically you're always evolving. You know, I think you're always looking at uh, what's happening in, in, um, in world hockey and what are themes. And you're always searching for pieces of other people's games that fit nicely into something that maybe is a bit clunky in your own game at the moment and adding what they do may make it better. You know, let, let's face it, there are, there are lessons to be learned from every, every international side or even some top club sides. There, how they do things can be inspirational and can lead on to very creative ideas or you put their idea into something of yours that's already existing. So there's a lot of that. But probably I think the biggest evolution in, in my coaching is um, is the understanding of the importance of the people and, and empowering players to take ownership to, um, to their role within playing. You know, like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a person that gets a lot of energy out of, the conversations with the players. And one of the early lessons that I got um, 
when I failed in a particular tournament was that I, I broke down what I used to do versus what I was doing currently, and that helped me move further forward into what I come in the future, you know. And and it was mainly around um, when I first took over the New Zealand job, for example. Um, I was probably too young, probably a little bit too inexperienced, probably felt that I wasn't ready for it, and I was given this role. And because I had those feelings, I was very, um, very collective in my approach. So I really used a lot of the players, and and it was a collaboration of of our thoughts, and then I just put them into a very, very succinct um, game plan and. A very successful one and it had really a lot of early success so holland came over my first test match was against holland and we never been we hadn't been in holland in 26 years and i won my first game you know as in charge of the um the black sticks against holland um and kind of the early part of my career followed that type of thing we had a lot of success we qualified for the olympics and and we actually played pretty well at the olympics but after the Olympics, I thought, look, I've got to put more into this. Where can I put more into it? And, and I kind of did that, study every team and immersed myself in the computer. And, and somewhere between 2008 and 2012, I kind of um, moved away from that path of working with the players. And it was kind of me knowing or me feeling that I knew how to beat every team but I, because I didn't have the players, I couldn't take anyone with me. And then we, we had a, um, for me, we had a terrible um, London Olympics because we ended up ninth, which is okay if you've got a team that, that should finish ninth. But I actually thought we had a much better team than that. And so as a coach, I was, in, I was devastated. Uh, at, but it gave me an opportunity to, to unpack all of what I'd been doing reassess where I was going and so on and and then very early in that unpacking things I, I realized that I moved away from the stuff that gave me energy the stuff that was actually really productive and so that's really where where the biggest change in my coaching went and now now even if I see a coach going in that direction I I, I just warn them you know just don't go there did you, um, <clears throat> did you have a uh, – one thing I reckon is awesome in New Zealand and I think HPSNZ and a lot of RSOs are getting into it as having a mentor and obviously it's been a massive help for me. Did you have a mentor in those days, almost a formal one, someone that – because some, some of that stuff that you talk about there, that can be a slow creep. You yeah. know, it's probably not like you woke up one day and all of a sudden – the relationship stuff wasn't as critical and it was all game plan. And and you, it's like when your kids grow up, you know, you don't really see, but they're getting yeah. a little bit taller. Did you have someone that helped you out and how important do you think having someone is? Oh, I think it's vital. And, and I probably didn't. I probably didn't have the, the same support that, that's available um, or that was available, you know. Like I, yeah, um, yeah, I, I think I would have helped my learning quicker um, and maybe it would have stopped me deviating down that road. But, you know, everything that happens to you is, in the end, it's for your own benefit, you know, and, and maybe I wouldn't be as considerate as I am towards my players and maybe I I wouldn't have the same 
strong feelings and beliefs around the, the importance of, of you know, um, the role of a coach and the calling of a coach. I, maybe I wouldn't have found that if I had been mentored or, or stopped that, um, that particular direction. So, so I, don't, I don't regret it. I think it could have been avoidable. But again, I'm not sure I'd be the coach today if I hadn't been able to fail. You know, I think that an immense amount of things come out of that. You know, so it's it's never always um, you don't always get the good stuff out of winning everything. You know, the important stuff also comes out of those failures. I just want to interrupt this podcast just for a minute. And no, it's not advertising. Well, it sort of is advertising. What I wanted to do was let you know a little project that DG and I are offering in 2024. It's a six-week online course, a little bit like the old days of talking performance, but with limited numbers and a really specific uh, content and program over the six weeks. It'll be done online with DG and I and resources to support the stuff that we talk about during the sessions. If you're interested, reach out, send me a direct message or an email and we'll keep you updated as we progress. Can I ask one more, Ethan? Yeah, go. <laughs> um, just in, in regards to that, the opportunities that his, Ethan's team's got this year to win, mm-hmm. I assume that you have a room full of people, as you said, on different parts of the mountain, but also who want to handle that stress in a different way. Do you see any value in doing, uh, I guess, pre-mortems where you could do a whole lot of what-if stuff? For, and, and in the group, uh, one thing I said to Ethan was if my thinking was to do something like that, but do it away from the sheds and away from the hockey field, do it in a really different environment. Yeah, we, we use that quite a lot. You know, like we again, we use the mountain um, analogy. So we talk about avalanches. So we talk about things that could bring us down the mountain, you know, stop us from reaching that that pinnacle. And when I was um like the my first role with the Belgian Red Lions was an incredibly interesting role. So so it was at a time it was after in my timeline. So I had 2012 and um I stopped coaching the the Black Sticks and I was my contract was was up, but if it wasn't up, they would have asked me to stop. Um, so that was the the point, the low part of my um, coaching career. And I'd always I, I'd, um, I'd been having a long distance relationship with my my wife now, and um, and she was Belgian, and so I, it was an easy out. So I went from New Zealand to Belgium. And started back coaching club there, and and I loved it. You know, you've got this week in, week out development, and and slowly I started to heal and and um, and get real enjoyment out of the coaching. It's probably really similar to what you're going through now. It's it's yeah, it, it it's um it's a great part of, or a great time of your life, and you're doing it in a great part of the world. Um, and then I got asked to do the Belgian Red Lions, and they were in a bit of disarray, to be honest. Um, like I was going to be the fifth coach in four years, so a bit of a conveyor belt of coaches coming in. Um, and I only had 10 months to try and um, affect the culture and things like that, but such a nice project. 
And so when I um, took that project on, the aim was to just um, put a team together um, and a lot of the stuff was was off the hockey field because they, they were fantastic hockey players, but it was putting in an environment where they, they learned to work to e- with each other much better and we spoke about the mountain and a whole lot of things. And in effect, what I was hired for was one particular game. Belgium had always failed at the quarterfinal stage of, of any competition. And um, and so because of that, I, um, I was working with a really talented assistant coach and we would bounce ideas off each other. And I had this idea one time to talk about um, – a game plan or a pre-mortem about playing India. And I um, and he said, yeah, it's good, it's good, but it's not great. And I said, what do you mean it's not great? And um, he said, oh, I think it could be better. And so I asked him and he said, well, for you, you've been hired for this game, so it's exciting, you're ambitious, you want to win it and you want, want all this meaning for for your job and so on. But for the players – They've felt this, you know, time and time again. So you should do it in a slightly different way. You should make them feel it. And so what we did is we set up our classroom. Uh, I asked the players to get a um, just a paper and pencil and um, make some notes. We're going to talk about India in one month's time sort of thing. And I started talking and, and I walked around the room and everything and I watched what they were, were they making notes or whatever and, they were drawing butterflies and uh, flowers and all the stuff you do when you, you're listening but not making notes. And I, um, at the same time, I did a presentation to them and, and there were photos and each of the photos was uh, us losing. So there was a scoreline um, loss 2-1 to uh, India and there were several and and with each photo, the room got quieter and quieter. And then, and then uh, there was this last one, and it was a um, a photo of our current captain, devastated, you know, uh, that we'd lost. And then we gave him a really simple task, you know, what went wrong? Play the game in your mind, and um, share those thoughts so that we can make sure that you know these things are dealt with before we have to deal with it. And um, they're a very good group. So normally you give them 45 minutes and they'll bang out a whole lot of really good stuff on some whiteboard things like on charts and stuff. This this time it, they, they went for two and a half hours and the discussions they had were incredibly honest and open. And they talked about the stuff that, that truly worried them, you know, the, um, the acceptance of leadership. They talked about um, clarity of roles. They talked about um. Uh, what else did they talk about? There was, there was about six things. Um, clarity of roles, time management, uh, time over, uh, score management, things like that. Oh, um, card risks. You know, a team of stars versus a star team. So, so it was really good information. And then we presented these around the wall. So again, they were able to look at them constantly and and work on these particular topics. But it's a really nice way to protect yourself, to make sure that you're doing everything right so that afterwards they don't come back and say, 
or you don't come back and say, oh, we didn't cover that off, we didn't cover this off, or we didn't think about that. If you do it in advance, it, it just helps with that direction. Yeah, awesome. Um, a lot of sort of my friends who end up watching this, they, they know I'm a massive Belgian Red Lions fan. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fanboying out a little bit. Um, I was a big <laughs> Thomas Thomas Brewers man growing up. So, um, and I, I always enjoyed watching them from a young age because it was sort of fun and exciting and it was mm-hmm. something that, I don't know, hockey didn't have at the time. It was kind of Australian, mm-hmm. Australia, Germany and the Dutch sort of dominating and they always had their own sort of style of hockey. I want to know from when you came in, how did you get that buy-in from some of these guys like uh, Thomas Brills, who's mm-hmm. been in the team for, I, don't know, I think it was in the team for probably about 10 years before you came. How do you get that buy-in from those players to start like a new project? Yeah, um, when you try and create mutual respect, you know, like, um, and uh, Thomas is a really good example. He he is such a people person and his value or his compass is always pointing in in a really correct direction. Um, And after, after, because I had 10 months and so there was an existing captain. After the Olympics, I chose him to be the captain of our side. And why I chose him was that he wasn't necessarily the best player or the most valuable player, but what he was incredibly good at is he recognized his strengths and his weaknesses, and he was incredibly humble to surround himself with people that filled in his gaps, you know, and and because of that, he grew. He grew as a player, and he, he, um, he was incredibly well-respected within, within our group and and people like yourself you know that you see people operating like that and and it's attractive you know like they're great role models and and when you start to promote things like that people like it they want to if you create a nice environment or environment that is set a certain way it attracts people to that environment who want to behave like that who want to play like that who want to train like that and so it's actually once it's set, it becomes easy. It's it's yeah, it's really attractive to be in that group, and and when you're not in it, you actually feel it. So if you fall out for a little bit, you work really hard to get back in, and it's it's kind of like this bubble. Um, and like with any um, young coach, if you have a little bit of luck early on, and one of the luckiest things that happened to me was well, there's two. One was to fall into um, a quite a talented staff, and so my assistant coach worked really very, very closely with him. Um, and he was creative and he had some really great thoughts. And one of the things that we liked to do was to stretch the game a bit. And, and we had a we had a trip to South Africa, kind of a training camp, and so on. And one of the things that we had been discussing was let's do something that's a little bit out of the box and see how it goes. And so one of the things we did was a simple tactic. So we we thought, okay, what if a player ran off, so subbed off, but we didn't put someone on? And then we have this structure that is our 10-man structure, like if someone gets sent off, but no one's been sent off. And then 
we will form a defensive half court. They will circulate the ball and they won't realise. And then when they when we win the ball, we then have our substituting player, he run on and let's see what happens. Now, when you're lucky, it happens. And so what happened is exactly how we mapped it out. We win position, the guy runs on, we whack a ball 70 metres to a guy that picks a ball up on the 25 who has a one-on-one with the keeper, eliminates the keeper and scores a goal. Now, when you do stuff like that as a coach that hasn't been done before, you talk about it in the briefing beforehand for the very first time without training and it actually scores, all of a sudden the the players are very diligent at at listening to, okay, what are we going to do? How's this going to (laughs) work? And we had several things like that. So we were lucky, but it, it, it just opened a door, you know, and, and um, yeah, so, yeah, it was one of those things that helped. Um, but the players, yeah, they, they, they really started to enjoy the environment because we did some things a bit differently. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. You seem to be so um, player-centred coach. In terms of your, like, leadership what was probably the most important lesson you learned in terms of sort of leading leading a team, being so player centered? Um, oh, I think I think knowing yourself is really important. You know, like I um, I know my strengths, and, and you know I have strengths, um, but I also recognise some of my weaknesses. You know, and and one of um, one of the things that I worked very hard with, um, not so much in the first 10 months because I, I worked very closely with that one assistant and we, we um, worked hard together because we had to move things quickly. But when I took when I continued the job, it was a four-year task. And so what I was really aware of is that I felt I did quite a good job with the team, taking the team somewhere, but I didn't think I did such a good job or as good a job with taking the staff with me. And so in the next um, my next term, I tried to surround myself with with people that weren't all the same, you know, and quite different type of people. Um, I, I really wanted to avoid those, those those coaching staff where you all do high fives and you pat each other on the back and say, man, you did a great job today. No, 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 you did a great job. I wanted to have people that kind of challenged my beliefs and, and the way that I would do things so that we were richer and then we would cover off every player. So to be able to do that, um, I discovered that I'm quite a serving leader. So I get a, a lot of satisfaction out of um, providing things for people. And I, I, I get a I, – I love winning things. Like why I love winning things is it, it – it's kind of a a mark in time that you're being judged by the world by what you display to them. But a bigger part of what I love is is that um, that continual development with people. I, you, there are moments in your coaching career where um, you see something different in someone, and it doesn't happen every day. It's a bit like what Jay was talking about earlier with your kids all of a sudden they're super tall and somewhere along the way they've got there. It's the same when you're coaching people or developing people. At points in time, you you see something 
change in an incredibly positive way. And that that's, for me, what coaching is really about. You get to witness those incredible moments where people change as well as the incredible moments where you collectively achieve what you set out to achieve. You know, you want a gold medal or you want to look up, you know, so it's a combination and it's um, both, are, both are equal, not, not one's above the other for me. There's a couple of things there that you said. Um, one I remember Smithy talking about his coaching group at the Chiefs, and I think it was him and Dave Rennie, maybe Andrew Strawbridge and um, Kieran Kane maybe, but he said they had a, so many of their coaching meetings, they disagreed. But they and he loved that, and he said that their philosophy. And obviously, Rennie was the head coach. Their philosophy was disagree and commit. So you had the, um, I guess you're empowered to disagree and throw your opinion out there. But then at the end of the at the end of the meeting, all four of you, or however many coaches you've got, know that we're going to commit to this together. But if you if you don't have that disagree and commit mindset, often you can hold stuff in as a coach and not throw it out there, and obviously regret that. Um, do you find the selection conversations hard, Shane, being such a lovely man and deselection probably more than selection? Oh, Sorry. Yeah, it's it's truly the hardest part. Like I, I took a bit of sabbatical and came down to New Zealand and and, um, and the bit I enjoyed most from not being in the job was, well, it's actually the only thing I, I didn't miss was, was that selection, you know, and, and – People um, struggle to fully understand it, and and the only way I can even get close to describe it, describing it is is um, is you kind of breaking up with someone that you're still madly in love with. You know that that's kind of what you do half the time. And high performance is is incredibly unfair. And what I mean by that is, if you're selecting a team, often if you select one player. The ramifications for other players is quite dramatic, you know. So if I play, press um, pick player A, I'm also going to pick B and C because they play well together, gives us perfect balance. But if I pick B, then maybe A is going to be out, and then D becomes a better combination, you know. So it's it's tough, and it's really tough to talk to players about that. Um, and so what I what I try to do there is I try and just be as honest as I, I can with them. Um, I never look for opportunities to justify um, justify their, their deselection by critiquing them in a way that's not not, not justified. You know, like I've sat with um, some coaches that, that we've been talking about beforehand and then when it's come to the meeting, what I hear is them saying, oh, look, you're not good at this or you don't do that well and, yeah, you're not up to the standard, so we've put you out, you know. So kind of pushing them further down, you know, it's information that's actually not true, let alone helpful, you know. So so I try and do that process well. I try and be as honest as I can about it, um, but also very mindful that, uh, you know, it's, for me it's hard. For them, it's a hundred times harder because they're, they're often we're talking about their Olympic dream or or something like that that has such a big effect on them. So that's that's certainly um, something I'm mindful of. Yeah, and as you say, especially because you've got such strong relationships with them, 
Um, I love that analogy. It's like breaking up with someone you're still in love with. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's like that, and and something does break. You know, like um, I, I wouldn't change how I work with people, and and I try and put the selection off uh, as long as I can. Like I'm not a coach that's constantly thinking about, okay, they're out, they're out, they're out, they're in, they're in. I um, leave that and, and I work with the premise that I see this player in Tokyo, so I'm going to invest all my time to make sure he's the very best that we can get him to be, you know, and it's not until those final moments that it, it's almost a surprise to me what the final selection is going to be. I, I'm thinking about combinations, but but certainly in regards to, um, you know, I, I, I never – preempt something because if you do that as a coach then you can end up pushing yourself in that direction as well um, which mm-hmm. is never good and, and Ethan where are you like a, that voice message that you flicked through where are you in the season now like how many how many games have you got left what what have you got coming up and how give us a bit of an update on how the team is uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's Christmas break now over here. Um, right. So we'll finish for Christmas. Um, so we're still an undefeated season. I think we've, what have we played nine nine games. I think we only have four more league games left. You have got a few more sort of like cup, which is a little bit separate. Um, it's similar to sort of Premier League where you play league and you have little cup games separate. Um, but yeah, so I think yeah, four more league games and then. Uh, quarterfinal of cup. So if we keep winning that, um, yeah, we just keep going to the end. Hopefully, is the league is the league a semi final final situation, or is that you just win the league? You just win the league. So just based off points, pretty pretty similar to sort of pro league stuff. Um, three points for a win, one point for a draw, and then just whoever's at the top end of the season um, is the winner of the league. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you feel like the players are going? In terms of their mindset around those triple, the triple crown, um, really, really good actually. Um, I mean, quite fortunate to have an awesome sort of senior leadership group who um, have helped me massively um, guide the team to where they need to go. Um, it's been pretty awesome. Sort of from day one, we sort of spoke about our values. We want to be the sort of aggressive team and, and always stay sort of in a, in a high three quarter or a full press and win the ball high up the field as we can. Um, uh, uh, we haven't had any sort of issues in, in terms of people wanting to go away from that. Um, so, yeah, I've actually been quite fortunate to have the team I have, really. And the uh, final question, what's your biggest challenge you've had this year within that group? Um, probably establishing our... Our on-field leaders, I think I at the start of the season, we had a few guys who thought they were the guy um, and thought maybe they could do everything to win the game. Um, but we found it quite quickly in preseason that you can't dribble past 10 players and score at the top of the D every time. Um, that we need to play, play with the strategy that we come up with and, and stick to our values, but that was probably the only thing in that that was preseason, really. So we got that out of the way early. Thank, thank God. How did you do that? Actually, I thought it would be in my head. It was going to be at training, sort of. Um, we film some of our training sometimes, and we'll go through the footage. And be like, 
okay, this is how we're training, this is translating to what's happening on the field. But it was actually, it came up in um, a one-on-one meeting with a few of the players and they mentioned that um, they've noticed that what they've been doing in these preseason games is a little bit selfish and they realise that when they play with the team, um, we can sort of achieve anything. So it actually came from them. Um, all I had to do was basically ask the question. Strong. No, it's been good. It's been really enjoying it. Um, yeah. I've got one more question for you, Shane, if you don't mind. Um, it's basically what is your advice to a young coach sort of leading forward? What would you uh, recommend for someone who's starting to establish, establish himself as a coach? But um, the next step, what's your advice? Yeah, I'd just say jump. You know, like um, mo- most of the hardest thing is is um, if it's something you really want, you need to jump into it, you know, and um, take on as much uh, responsibility as you can because it, that's your learning, you know. And so, you know, if you get asked to do something, put your hand up and say, yeah, yes, you know, because that's where you, you get your opportunities. And what people look for is, is that enthusiasm and that willingness to do stuff. And from what I, um, you know, how proactive you are and how you reach out to Jay and, and, and so on, I'd suggest that that's a big part of your character anyhow. Um, yeah, if I look back to my um, early days um, learning to coach, I would try and take as many teams as I could. And I, I ended up taking four teams a week, you know, um, so those. My logic was that it was if I have four teams, I'm going to be learning four times faster than any other coach going around. I'll be preparing four games. I'll be watching four games. I'd, and each of the teams that I took, I was quite specific. Or I was quite selective. So there were different types of teams. So a women's team, a high-performing men's team, a high-performing youth team, and then another social team. So that just to try and be as rounded as possible, have a good understanding of what players want and also game development. You know, if you if you have three or four teams, then you can you can experiment with two and have a final product with a third, you know. So so that's the type of stuff. Um, and that's what I mean by jump. You know, jump into it. Personally. How hard is that? How hard is that jump piece, Shane? Like at the start of this conversation, I remember Ethan saying it's hard as a young coach, the pressure's on to perform. And then you get the old, no, no, you're not old, Shane, but you get the more experienced coaches that say, um, you know, have a go. And we all look back and go, oh, God, I wish I was braver in this situation. But um, that's hard, right? Like to go from when you are in a role, you've been employed to get results. Yeah. Um, how do you balance that conflict that comes with, with you know, yeah. being brave enough to try stuff? Yeah, like sometimes you get forced into it and sometimes that, that willingness to jump it um, becomes easier and easier because it's, it's like a calling. You, you know if you love coaching and you sound as if you love coaching. Um, and if you take opportunities and you ask questions and you follow trainings and you're diligent in those type of things, people ask you do, to do more, you know, and so doors will continue to open. And even if you have a failure somewhere, because that willingness to do things, people are more forgiving, you know, and 
and those doors remain open. If you are too selective to say, oh, no, I'm not going to do this, not going to do that, I'm just going to concentrate on this and that's it. If that is the only thing you do and it doesn't go well, then you have to really work hard to try and get the next thing. But, you know, people, what makes success is people. And so you concentrate on being a good person, you know, um, and, um, and display yourself well. Be diligent. Be always there on time. Um, be the role model. Um, yeah, and, and coach how you want to be coached. You sound as if you've got a pretty clear idea of what you like. Coach that way. Awesome, Shane. Thank you so much for for giving up your time. I know it's late for you, um, and really appreciate that you're in fact willing to do it at eleven p.m. But I couldn't do that to you. But um, I think that shows shows how good a man you are. Um, and Ethan, I'm looking forward to seeing you next year. I believe you're coming home for a, a little while. Keep doing what you're doing. I echo Shane's thoughts and just saying jump into stuff. I think you're going to be a superstar as a coach. So appreciate you reaching out and and thanks for um for also taking the time. No, no, to thank you both to be in the presence of two sort of legends in, in the coaching world. It's been an awesome opportunity. So thank you both for that.